Section 11 of Essays on Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Essays on Art by Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Translated by Samuel Gray Ward. Section number 11. Letter 3. I observe that Julia, in her last postscript, has spoken a good word for the philosopher, but I am sorry to say her uncle cannot agree with her. For the young man not only holds by a method of his own, which I by no means enter into, but his mind is turned to objects concerning which I neither think nor even have thought. In the midst of my collection, even, where I can soon find common ground with all men, I can find no point of contact with him. He has lost even the historical and antiquarian interest which he once seemed to have in it. Moral philosophy is his great study, of which I know but little beyond what my heart tells me. The law of nature I never feel the want of, because our administration of justice is righteous and our police active, but it is his next great attraction. The laws of nations that in my earliest youth my uncle had taught us to despise stands as the great aim of his studies. It is all up with the intercourse from which I promised myself so much pleasure. I can prize him as an excellent man, love him for his goodness, and am glad to serve him as my relation. But alas, we have nothing to say to each other. Before my engravings he is dumb, he sees my pictures unmoved. But while I am giving vent to my spleen to you, like a true uncle in the German comedy, experience draws me back and whispers that it is not the way to bind ourselves to men, to exaggerate those peculiarities which we chance to be separated from them. Let us therefore rather wait and see what the future has in store for us, and I will not neglect my duty towards you, but go on with my account of the founders of my collection. My father's brother, after having acquired credit as a brave officer, was employed in various affairs of state from time to time, and finally in very important matters. He was antiquated with most of the princes of his time, and from receiving presents adorned with their likeness in enamel and miniature, he acquired a connoisseurship in works of this class. He procured by degrees the likeness of dead as well as living potenants by searching for such golden snuff boxes and diamond settings as had found their way back to the goldsmiths and jewelers, and so at last had, in these likenesses, a complete royal calendar of his century." As he traveled much, he wished to keep his treasure at hand and was able to bring it within very small compass. He never exhibited it without its being increased by the addition of some living or dead prince from one jewel box to another, for a regular connection has the property of attracting all waifs and strays, and even the affection of the possessor towards some isolated treasure is annihilated and disappears through the attraction of the mass. From portraits, among which occurred full-length figures, such, for instance, as princesses, allegorically represented as nymphs or huntresses, he afterwards extended his collection to other small pictures of the same sort, 
always looking more to the exquisite finish of the execution than to the high ends of art, which are, however, by no means foreign to this style of painting. I observe you to admire the masterpieces of this collection. My additions to it have only few and occasional. And now at last I have to speak of myself, the complacent professor of this well-known and highly praised collection, often enough to its vexed and annoyed guardian. My inclinations were, from my youth, the opposite of the tastes of my uncle and my father. Whether it was that the more earnest aim of my grandfather had fallen to me by inheritance, or, as children often do, I had, out of the spirit of opposition, left the ways of my father and uncle with conscious perversiveness, I will not pretend to decide. It suffices to say that while the former wished that art should be made by means of the closest imitations and the most scrupulous execution to follow exactly in the steps of nature, and the latter prized pictures only so far as they were divided to infinity by the most delicate strokes of the pencil, so that he always kept a magnifying glass at hand, in order to increase the wonder of the work I, on the other hand, could find satisfaction in no other sort of works of art but sketches, which presented to my mind a lively image of some work yet to be carried out. The admirable examples of this sort that I found in my grandfather's collection, and which might have shown me that a sketch can be made with as much accuracy as spirit served to kindle my enthusiasm without guiding it. Boldly drawn, powerful sketches, roughly washed in with ink, these were what delighted me, and even where a few dashing lines gave only the hieroglyphic of a figure, I knew how to interpret them, and prized such works beyond measure. With such was laid the foundation of the collection, which I began in my youth and continued in riper years. In this wise, I maintained a constant opposition with my father, my uncle, and my brother-in-law, and as neither of them knew how to approach my point of view or draw me to theirs, I became fixed and strengthened in my position. Although, as I have said, I prized a spirited sketch before all things, yet many finished works naturally found their way to my collection. I learned, without being aware of it, to prize the successful carrying out of a spirited sketch to a spirited completion. I learned to prize precision, although I made it to an indispensable condition that feeling should be commensurate with it. This direction was aided by the etchings of various Italian masters, which still remain in my collection. And thus I was going on in the right way when another inclination drew me back again. Order and completeness were the two qualities that I desired my little collection to possess. I read the history of art. I placed my prints in order according to schools, masters, and years. I made catalogues and must say in my own praise that I never learned the names of any good master or became acquainted with the circumstance of any worthy artist without looking about to purchase one of his works, so that I might not only be able to speak of his merit, but have a proof of it visible at hand. Thus it stood with my collection, my acquirements, and their direction when the time came for me to enter the academy. My attachment to my profession, which was to be medicine, the absence of all works of art, new objects, a new life, forced back my love of art into the depths of my heart, and I only found occasion to practice my eyes upon whatever possessed the highest merit among the representations of objects of anatomy, 
physiology, and natural history. Yet before the end of my academical career, I found an opportunity to visit Dresden, which opened a new prospect for me, and one that had its effect on my whole life. With what delight, nay, with what intoxication did I wander through the sanctuary of the gallery? How many presentments were there realized? How many a chasm in my historical knowledge were filled up? How did my view enlarge itself over the steps of the temple of art? I looked back with self-congratulation on the family collection, which was one day to be mine, and the recollection was accompanied with the most delightful feelings. And since I could not be an artist, I should have been in despair if I had not from my birth been destined for an amateur and a collector. I will not detain you to relate the effect produced upon me by other collections, what besides I have done to add to the knowledge I before possessed, how my love of art has kept pace with all my other occupations and accompanied me like a guardian angel. I will only say that I turned all my remaining faculties to my profession and its exercise, that my practice soon required all my attention, and that my heterogeneous occupation seemed to only add to my love of art and my passion for collecting. What remains you will easily divine from your knowledge of me and my collections. When my father died and this treasure came into my possession, I had sufficient knowledge to fill up the chasms I found, not merely as a collector, because they were chasms, but rather in some sort as a connoisseur, because they were worthy of being filled. And it strengthens my conviction that I am in the right path, to find that my tastes correspond with the judgment of many sensible men with whom I have become acquainted. I have never been in Italy, but yet I have tried to make my taste as far as possible universal." How far I have succeeded, you are fully able to judge. I will not deny that I might and should have cultivated a purer taste in this or that particular direction, but who could live with thoroughly purified inclinations? For the present and forever I have done with myself. Would that all my egotism could find vent in my collection. For the rest, let to give and to receive be the watchword between us, which can be spoken by no other with greater affection and confidence than by your truly devoted. End of section 11.